Well, we're, uh, we're starting a new series today. But before we do that, if you're a veteran, would you stand, please? We have Veterans Day come up here. Thank you for your service. Uh, we, we are, uh, we're starting a new series. It's called Bad Religion. Um, one of my favorite punk bands is called Bad Religion. And uh, their, their lead singer, Greg Graffin, he, uh, he's an atheist. And he really hates religion. Not as much as he used to. He, when he was younger and he was a spitfire, he really, really had it in for, for all uh, religion. But as he got older, um, he, he started to recognize that there might be some value in it. And uh, there's actually a book that he co-wrote with a Christian professor from Arkansas um, where they just kind of emailed their, their thoughts about, you know, life and religion and nature and science and all these things. And after that, he, he kind of came away. And since then, he's been a little less hard on us. Um, but it, from the very beginning, and, and it continues to be his concern, his worry is, is that religion's actually very bad for you. And the reason is, is because religion limits who you are. It suppresses and oppresses you so that you cannot become the person that you should be. Right? Religion's like a straitjacket, and, and, and you need to be freed from that. And in some cases, he's right. It's a legitimate critique. And this series is going to look at that. We're going to look at, especially, I mean, it's all throughout the Gospels. The Pharisees, the lawyers, they practice a really bad religion. And their religion is based on controlling and suppressing and oppressing people. But Jesus comes and he offers a new way. And he says, no, the religion's not that. That's not what it's for. Actually, religion is meant for you to become the person God wants you to be, to be in relationship with him. And so let's look. This is, a, this is the Pharisees' high watermark. This is the best that they come off in any of the Gospels. Um, let's look at uh, Luke 5, if you've got your uh, phone Bible or a Bible in the pew, or you brought your analog Bible. Luke 5, um, this is what uh, we read. One day when Jesus was teaching... Pharisees and lawyers, sometimes that word is uh, described as scribes or legal experts, but really it's just lawyers. It's, uh, their, their law expertise is in Torah, the law of Moses. So Pharisees and uh, Moses' law lawyers were sitting nearby. They'd come from every village in Galilee and, Ju- and Judea and from Jerusalem. The word about Jesus is spreading, and so all these people who are curious about whether or not he's a good guy, especially the religious leaders, are starting to listen. And so the power, was, uh, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Some men were bringing a man who was paralyzed, lying on a cot. They wanted to carry him in and place him before Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because the crowd was so big. So they took him up on the roof and lowered him, caught and all, through the roof tiles into the crowded room in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins have been forgiven. The lawyers and Pharisees began to mutter amongst themselves, who is this who insults God? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus recognized uh, what they were talking about and responded, why are you raising such considerations in your hearts? Let me ask you this. Which is easier, to say your sins have been forgiven or to say get up and walk? 
But so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins, Jesus now spoke to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, get up, take your cot, and go home. Right away, the man stood before him, picked up his cot, and went home praising God. Wonderment seized everyone. Filled with awe, they glorified God, saying, we've seen unimaginable things today. Now, it's it's easy to to kind of misconstrue what's happening here. And the reason is is because the Pharisees interrupt things. Okay, the Pharisees show up and they they cause a problem so that it's hard to understand exactly what's happening. So I want want to bring this out. So so check this out. Notice how odd this is at the very beginning. Um, So some men are bringing their, their paralyzed friend on a cot, but they couldn't reach Jesus because of the crowd. Does that not strike you as a little odd? Uh, Do you see Dunkirk? Do you see that movie? I'd say it's Christopher Nolan's best. I love that film. It's beautiful. It's a story of how in World War uh, II, I I know, I just, for a second there I thought of 1917, which was like the same movie, only bad. And then, it's like, anyway. Yeah, World War II. And, uh, and, and, and part of what's going on is it's, it's the evacuation of Dunkirk. The Germans are uh, sweeping across France, and the British army is trapped on uh, the, the coast, and they're waiting for rescue. They're waiting for boats to come across the English Channel and take them back to England. And there's this great scene where um, this one guy, I don't even know if we find out his name in the movie, but he's the main character. He, uh, he, he sees what's happening, and the injured people, the people who are injured who are on cots, medics are taking them to the boats, and, pe- and the soldiers are parting. And so the soldiers who are waiting to get on the boats are looking like, well, that guy's injured. He, of course, man, come on through. Like, we got to get you out of here. And so he has the bright idea of finding an injured person. He does. He picks that, the cot up and gets his friend. And they run and everyone parts from him. That's how they get on the boat, right? Because injured first. Why is that not the case here? Why is the crowd being like, oh, you're paralyzed? Get him. Stay back. Remember, I mean, even, even if, he, if all he wants to do is just see Jesus, like, he's lying down, he can't stand up. They're preventing him from even seeing Jesus. Does it bother you? It bothers some people. Next slide. Does that bother you? Like, I don't, it, bother, it doesn't bother me at all. I think it's great. I think that's awesome. Uh, I, I mean, I get why it would bother you, but to me, I like some person was like, yeah, forget you. <laughs> you gave me lines, but I don't care. What about this? Does this bother you? <laughs> like, really, man? You had one job. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, this is the one that does bother me. Uh, this, 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 this. Yeah, so you can see that the ceiling doesn't quite meet the wall. It's just off a little bit. That, that would irritate me. Um, and the reason, so if these things bother you, the reason, of course, is because you have, a very, uh, you have a very strong sense of order, right? Like how things ought to be. Um, and that's actually not uh, dissimilar to the way that God's law in, in the Torah is. We tend to think of sin, we tend to think of sin as like I did something bad. And that is sin, when you do something wrong. But the Torah, uh, the, 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 the law of Moses actually has a much broader sense of what's right and wrong. And it includes anything that is uh, not exactly the way God designed the universe to be. Okay? So anything that's slightly off or 
way off from the way God designed the universe. In, in, the, in the law of Moses, that's thought of or that's treated as distortion, uncleanness, and really sin. That includes legs that don't work. In Leviticus, I want to say 21.8. Leviticus 21.8 tells us that uh, in the ancient world, people who uh, were paralyzed or who didn't have working legs were not allowed to enter the temple for worship. They were still allowed to uh, participate in, in the, the meal, the feast that went with temple worship, but because their legs weren't doing what legs are supposed to do, their, their legs were seen as sinful or unholy. Um, and it's not, that they, it's not that they did wrong. That's why they're still allowed to participate with, with the food that takes place during sacrifice. But because they're, they're, they're something not the way God intended it about their legs, they're seen as, as yeah, off, as sinful. And this goes on. I mean, there's, everyone sins in the Old Testament, and you can't even control it. Um, menstrual bleeding, um, emissions... Uh, from the male, all that stuff is treated as, as unholy and often requires a sin offering to be, to be treated. So, so sin's much bigger than we tend to think, and it includes this man's legs. His legs are sin. So now it might more, make more sense why they're not letting him through, right? Because they're sitting there and they're like, oh, this guy, by the time of the first century, they've, they've kind of decided that anyone who is in violation of the law in any way is dirty and is dangerous and possibly contagious. The sin on this guy might get onto me. So no, I'm not going to be the one who steps aside so he can go through. Take a look at the text here. Uh, notice then what Jesus says, right? Um, when he saw their faith. Well, the first thing that Jesus noticed is that this guy's friends aren't scared of him like they should be. Right? This guy, for whatever reason, he has friends who've seen past um, what the tradition is. They've seen past uh, the fear about contagion and, and sin contagion from physical uh, calamity. And, and, and so they, and not only that, but they believe that, that not only are they not afraid of him, but they believe that to get him to Jesus, Jesus can heal him. And so when Jesus sees this man and his friends and he looks at them and sees their faith, their faith, their conviction that no one should be excluded, that no one should be kept away, he says, friends, your sins have been forgiven. What does that mean? Well, it means not just that whatever you've done in the past that's wrong has been forgiven. It also means your legs have been forgiven. This is another way of saying you have been healed. So if the Pharisees weren't a part of this story, what then would have happened is the guy would have started to like, wait, something, this is different. And he would have started to, to stand up. The miracle has already been performed. It's just a matter of him and everyone else realizing it. But the Pharisees do show up, and, and they do intercede, and so there's this big block where, where Jesus has to smack them down, and, and this, is what, this is what they say. They, they, they look, right, and, they're, and they're, they're mumbling, right? Ooh, whoa, whoa. Only God can forgive sins. Did you notice that Jesus did not say, I forgive your sins? Do you notice that? He says, your sins have been forgiven. 
It's actually ambiguous. Uh, that's the divine passive in, in Jewish culture at the time. They and I think still uh, they tend to avoid trying to name God or speaking of God or speak of God. And so there's a lot of passive voice being used. So it could have been Jesus saying God has forgiven your sins. It could have been Jesus saying I have forgiven your sins. It's ambiguous. But these guys, these guys immediately hear this possibly blasphemous thing. They, they hear this man claiming divine authority. And Jesus is super disappointed. He's like, really? That's what, that's what you're focused on? That's what, that's what you heard? Really? Did you, did you notice that this guy, like his friends, um, their, their incredible faith and their, and their mercy and their compassion, did you notice that? Did you see it? Did you hear that there's a possibility that this guy is going to have his life totally transformed? He, he everything from, from his ability to worship with his people, from his ability to, to work and, and provide for a family, it's all about to be turned upside down. And what did you do? You just assumed that I did something bad. And now you're, you're missing all of it. I was talking to my buddy Mike when we were working on this sermon. He was telling me, I was kind of like, well, you know, how do we, how can we get this to people so that they'll, they'll hear it? And he's like, um, he says, my son Isaac, who's roughly Alice's age, like 10, 12, something like that. My son Isaac is an amazing kid, amazing kid, and I love him to death. And he's like, man, what, I, what I've realized is if I would literally pay $10,000 to go back and have just one hour with him when he was three. Just I'd, ten grand, I'd pay. I'd pay whatever I could just for one hour, because Isaac was this amazing kid. Like he was so cheerful and, and fun and happy, and and just incredible. But when he was three years old, all I could, all I thought about was whether or not he, this was his firstborn, whether or not he was you know developing correctly, whether or not his language and speech were were, were on point, whether or not he was obeying everything that we said, whether or not he was potty training properly, whether or not, whether or not, whether or not, whether. He also said, and I was a workaholic. He was working at a church. And uh, they demanded insane hours, and he provided them. And he says, I was so concerned about making sure that, that he was right. That I missed him. This little miracle God had given Erica, and I missed him. And I can see the pictures that she took, but I can never get that back because I was so focused on whether or not he was obeying. He said that, I think, because he was uh, sort of giving me like a... He didn't explicitly say this, but he was basically saying, Tom, don't miss Soren. Don't miss it, man. You're so worried about the perfect sermon or... Dude... Soak it in. But that, that's exactly the, the mindset that can take over us. That's what bad, bad religion is. Bad religion is a focus so much on whether or not it's being done just right that a miracle takes place right in front of your eyes and you miss it. 
the church, the church service should be like this. I don't care if people's lives are being changed. My family should be like this. I don't care that I'm missing everything about them. My job, my situation, my work colleagues, it should all be like this. So I miss the fact that God has provided so much for my family. Bad religion misses the miraculous. Why? Because the miraculous always threatens the status quo. It's the first thing in your note sheets. Or second thing. Bad religion misses the miraculous when it threatens the status quo. This is how things are supposed to be. I am not willing to see them be any different. And God, I don't care if you're going to move. If you do, I, I, I can't see it anyway because it's supposed to be this way. Jesus is supposed to, he's supposed to say you're healed. He's not supposed to say your sins have been forgiven. And I, I, I just can't deal with you acting like this, God. There might be amazing transformation taking place in your family, with you, with the church, with your life, your job. And you might be missing it because you're so worried that they're not growing up how they're supposed to. That you're not making the decisions that you want to. That it, that the, although I will say, if you're upset about the, the carpet and the color of the pews, you're right. They're horrible. <laughs> Um, and I think it's only like $80,000 to like fix all this. So if someone wants to just give me 80 grand, I'd be great. If not though, uh, wouldn't it be crazy though? Wouldn't it be crazy if you were so focused on, you know, the, the floor that you missed people deciding to follow Jesus and be baptized? What should have happened? Well, let's take a look. So, so they're like, so Jesus is like, oh, okay, all right, fine. Okay, guys, if it's really that important to you to know whether or not I'm saying your sins are forgiven or get up and walk, well, here's what I'll do. Okay, which is harder to say if sins are forgiven or get up and walk. All right, young man, get up, take up your cot, go home. And what does the young man do? Right away, the man stood before them, picked up his cot, and went home praising God. Wonderment seized everyone. This is uh, I, the word there is where we get ecstasy. It's ecstasis, ecstasis, wonderment, amazement. Uh, seized everyone. Did you notice? It's not that everyone's amazed. Everyone's in wonder. No, wonderment comes and grabs everybody. It seizes them. Filled with awe, they glorify. This is everybody, including the Pharisees and the lawyers. Everyone's like, whoa. We've seen unimaginable things today. Again, where we get our word paradox. It's a paradoxus. It's unimaginable. And, and it means more in the ancient world. It can mean something that's uh, surprising. But it also means very much what we mean with paradox. Something, my preconceived notions of how the universe operates and what just happened do not mix. That's impossible. And yet, here it is. Pharisees and the, and the lawyers, they're, they're, like, they're, they're shocked. They're taken back. Like, they've never seen anything like this. And so everyone is like, oh my gosh, he, he did forgive that guy's legs. And presumably, like every other sin that he's committed. This Jesus is something else. You want to see something that will blow your mind? All right, here it is. Do you know what that is? 
I don't know your name. What's your name? Ellie. What is that? It's a hippo. Did you know, did you check this out? Hippopotamus, they, uh, like an uh, average male weighs like a ton and a half, a little more than a ton and a half, 3,300 pounds. And so they sink in the water. But because of that, they can walk underwater. Isn't that cool? Does that not blow your mind a little bit? Not mine either. I, I saw a picture of a hippo. I've seen hippos, and I'm like, whatever. It's just a big thing. I, I can see fake ones at the Jungle Cruise. I can see real ones at the, you know, but. So we went to the, uh, the zoo in San Diego, and, uh, and we saw a hippo. And it was walking underwater. And Soren was with me. This is a little selfie I took. He was really excited to do a selfie. I, I couldn't get him to turn around. I was like, Soren, don't you know, it's not important that we saw a hippo. What's important is that we take a selfie and post it on Instagram so that people think we're living our best life. Like, don't you get that? Like, don't you understand? But he didn't. He didn't understand the point of taking a photo at the zoo. Instead, he was mesmerized. Like, blow, he, he was running around seriously like, being like, Hippo! I was like, yeah, it's a hippo. That's an interesting thing. It's because uh, the way our, actually our brains respond to, um, to surprise. So the way that it works is we, we as we grow up, we, we develop a, a very s- strong and stable framework of how we think the world is, okay? When something comes across our path that, uh, that does not agree with that or seems to not fit with that, we, we experience something called surprise. And uh, the neuroscientists have, have studied this, and what happens is literally your entire physical body, for one twenty-fifth of a second freezes, including your brain, actually. The synapses in your everything. And you can, you'll feel this, uh, it, it's more, it's, if you get startled, you can feel it over more time, but, it, but even at the smallest surprise, everything stops for one twenty-fifth of a second. And then what happens is the emotional part of your brain, in the back, the emotional part of your brain goes into hyperdrive and can start moving, the synapses start moving up to 400 times their regular speed. And this can be either a negative feeling of fear, like, oh my gosh, this is what, you know, the jump scares are all about in the, in the movies with the guys with the masks and the, the knives. When, when that happens, uh, you, you jump, and there's this very negative feeling of anxiety and fear, and it's very powerful. On the other end, the, the wonderment end, the amazing end, um, it's a, a sense of like, And then right after that, what happens is the frontal part of your brain, or the rational part, starts kicking in hard. And what it starts to do is it starts to, um, to, to fit in, to say, how can this be? How can I fit this into my understanding of how things work? This is why when you watch uh, street magic, for example, you often come away being like, whoa. Because if you don't know the trick, you can't, you know something's happened, but you don't know what. And so your brain's like, this makes no sense. So Soren, he's three. He's read about hippos. He's seen some YouTube videos about hippos. But when he saw a hippo, holy moly. And it was walking on the ground under the water. He just learned to stand up in the water in, in, in the, the hot tub. And so for him, like the idea that he can walk around in water, it's like...
And he's right. And I'm wrong. Hippos are unbelievable. When, you, when your brain is processing surprise, what, what it starts to do is it starts to ask, how is this possible? What, what made this happen? And so you can actually become surprised again at things that used to bore you. And so for me, I was sitting there being like, why would anyone flip out this much about a hippo? And then I started thinking about it. Man, can you believe, like, of all the things, our verse of the month, right? God, maker of heaven and earth. What, what, what was God thinking? Hippos? I mean, they're useless. They don't do anything for us. But they're seriously powerful. And God decided in his infinite wisdom to somehow bring about a creature that can't breathe underwater, but can walk underwater and then come out of the water and get enough air to, like, spend, you know, long periods of water. That's, like, that's just amazing. How much grace does it take for God to make a good heavens and earth filled with all these incredible things? How much goodness has God poured out in the hippo? And then you take that the next step and then imagine the amount of grace and goodness that God has poured out in order to make it possible for me and Soren to see a hippo in real life. It's, if you start to pick it apart and you start to analyze it, you, it's, it's, Truly surprising and awe-inspiring. It, and, and if you start to think about it, you don't, you don't decide, I'm going to be, I'm going to experience wonder. It just grabs you. It just takes you. Because you're recognizing the unimaginable grace of God poured out in this moment. And I think about this. It's not just hippos. It's also that God looked at us and said, you are so horribly broken. Your insides are just a disaster. And it's, it's destroying, you know, your family, your kids, yourself, your environment, your colleagues, your friends. And you know what? I'm just going to reach out and I'm just going to fix you. But, but it's going to cost me something. Of course, it's going to cost me giving my son, introducing death and pain into the very essence of God. It's going to cost me that, but I'm going to do it. Because I love you. I remember the first day of Catholic school. Um, we had to do the Lord's Prayer. So, in nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus, Sancti, Amen. Father nostro qui est in Catholic Sanctificator, Lumento. I learned it in Latin, which was cool. Um, but I remember what was so interesting to me is that it was a prayer, but like we all just kind of like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and the business of heaven, does the day, blah, 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 and then it ended. Did we even notice what we said? Did we even think about it? That's bad religion. It's bad religion when we, we, we miss the miraculous because, oh, we're bored of it or it doesn't fit with our... We, God's doing amazing things and changing lives. We can't be bothered because... But good religion, this is the last thing here, no cheats, good religion gets seized by wonderment at God's unimaginable grace. 
when Doug was praying this morning, I, I was so, it was, it was cool. He was like, look, you know, God, we, sometimes we just get caught up in, in our troubles and, and our afflictions. But Lord, lift our eyes up. And man, is that not exactly right? Can you imagine what, can you imagine what this church in this area would be like? Look, just think about this. 1967, this church was founded. In the 70s, they bought this incredible piece of land. <laughs> on a, just, you know, I don't even know how it happened. It was long before my time. And, and then built this, this little church on the hill. And then in the 80s, uh, our friends at Stony Brook uh, joined us. And all of us just being like, we've got to spread God's word. We've got to see people's lives and eternal destinies change. We, that's just what we've been called to do. And then over the years, you know, people like me have been able to grow up here. I came here at 89, 90, um, and, and for six years off for college in Japan. But, but really, almost all my life, 36 years, I've been at this church. And through that, I've been shaped and formed. And there's been good things and bad things. Uh, and yet, now we, we've come to this place where there's this community of saints right here. I gathered here, families uh, who, are, who are looking for the truth of God's word, also looking for uh, change and, 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 and the new things that God's doing. And then now we're, we've got, uh, we're helping out with Camp Elmdale. We've been doing that for years, blessing and transforming the lives of, of the fatherless uh, in, our, in Orange County and blessing the fatherless in Haiti. And we've got all these activities that we're developing and our kids are growing up. Is, is it not a little crazy? And on top of all of that, we're in Southern California and the weather is amazing. I have a picture of that. Look at that. You're going to miss it, Jeff. You're going to miss it. That first swampy Tennessee summer, you're going to hate that. How crazy is it? The gifts and the grace that God has poured out on us. I know we've got our stuff. I know we're, you know, we're praying for healing for, from cancer. We're, we're praying for the children that are, that are being you know, afflicted in different ways. Of course, there's a million different things on our plate. But, but if we stopped and said, I need again to be seized by wonder, God, because you have done amazing things. Or are we missing the miraculous? Because it doesn't fit with how we think God should act. Let's pray. Gracious, gracious God and Father, we, um, we confess, Lord, that we, we come to you with, with expectations and an understanding of how the world ought to work, how you ought to work, how things ought to be, and sometimes, God, it, it causes us to miss the miraculous things that you're doing. God, we confess that bad religion and we want, it, we want it out of our hearts. Instead, God, we want to recultivate the, the ability to be seized by wonder at your grace again. Just caught at the beauty and the transformation and the life that you provide and give. To be blown away again by the gift, the, mag the magnanimity of the gift of your Son. The gift of the Spirit who provides us power 
the gifts of healing and redemption that you've showered all over us. God, open our eyes again and again and again to your goodness. We need you every hour, God. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to keep us clean. We need you to draw us forth into the life you've called us to. We praise you, God, for those things. We expect that you'll move and answer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.